Well, if you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 22. That's where we have been at here for the last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, we, uh, every Sunday morning when I get here, the guys on the soundboard back there always come over and ask me what passage I'm going to be so they can get it on the tape. And uh, today I told them it's Proverbs 22.6. For your information, next week it'll be Proverbs (laughs) 22.6. For the next week after that, Proverbs 22, 6. In fact, for the next eight weeks, it might be Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. But today, we're going to get into one of the greatest verses uh, and principles in all the Bible on our role as parents uh, in, in a biblical sense. You know, I talk a lot to you uh, about the Bible uh, and studying the Bible about the importance of context. And uh, I don't think there's any single issue more important in learning your Bible than understanding the uh, aspect of getting a context. But it doesn't stop with the Bible. Uh, Most people probably think it does, but it doesn't. Uh, Your job and my job, once we learn the Bible, is to be able to put the issues of life in a context. You know, um, I talk about things will happen to you in your life and how you're not to take it personal and you're not to, you know, be able to deal with it, especially if you're working with people in the ministry. For me, after almost 50 years in the ministry, I must confess to you the only thing that's kept me sane uh, in all of the uh, things that I've had to deal with is the aspect of putting it all in a context. Uh, when you have to deal with issues or you have to deal with problems, gr- the great unknown about it is not understanding it. And when you don't understand something that's happened to you or you're going through, then there's too many variables, too many question marks, too many unanswered things. And that can scare you. And that'll make the problem even worse. And I have found that the way that you handle <coughs> situations like that, to keep, the, the, keep it to a minimum, is to be able to put all of life and the individual scenarios <coughs> that we all go through into a context, understanding why this is the way that it is. It's, it's a lot easier to deal with it. And uh, you're going to find that uh, there needs to be a context, obviously, of the Bible. There needs to be a context of the issue of life. And there needs to be a context of your family. And, uh, you know, there's a context that, to everything. And this single verse, without a doubt, is, without, is, the, is the greatest promise and the greatest principle. Remember I explained the three or four weeks ago, the difference between a principle and a promise. So, but this is one of the greatest promises to you, and yet one of the greatest principles that we can operate by in all the Bible, that is your 100% guarantee that your child can grow up in this world and stay faithful to the Word of God, to God and the family. I, I've had couples come over and talk to me, and they haven't had any children yet, and they had a concern that, you know, that they didn't, uh, the world the way it is today, that they were somewhat afraid to have children and bring them into the world as, as, as bad as the world is today. And, you know, and I understand that, but I, I always tell them that that's always relative. If you lived in this 16th or the 15th or the 14th century, you'd be seeing all your friends butchered and crucified by the Roman Catholic Church and tortured, and you'd think twice about having kids back then. If you live back in 200, 300 A.D., all your Christian friends would be down in the Roman Colosseum being hacked together with the gladiators, and you'd probably say to your pastor, I don't know if I should even want to bring kids into this world. 
bottom line is, no matter where we live in history, no matter where we live at in time, the Bible is faithful to whatever circumstance and situation we have. And God has given us as parents the 100% guarantee, 100% guarantee that in the world that we live in that you can bring a child up or children up uh, and uh, they will stay faithful to everything. You know, in most cases, and, and I know there's exceptions to everything, but in most cases, uh, no parent ever wanted anything but the best for their child. And I, and I really believe that. And I know I've met parents that were terrible parents. I met parents that, in my estimation, should have been uh, had a chain around their ankles and hooked to a bumper on a truck and drag around a parking lot someplace for a couple hours. I get it. But in most cases, that's not true. Uh, I, I don't think that most parents ever wanted anything but the best for their child. And I, and I really believe that. But here's the problem. And it's always been the problem. The problem is a lack of understanding on the parent's part of what really is best for that child. What they think is best is not always what is best. And we, and we want to talk about some of these things today. You know, our church is a very young church, age-wise. I mean, uh, most churches today... Um, you know, the average age is 60, 70, 80, 90, somewhere in there. And um, they're, they're like a dinosaur graveyard. Everybody goes there to die. And, of course, ours is just the opposite of that. Um, yeah, our 20s, 30s, and the 40s, and, uh, you know, we have a, a host of great teens. Uh, our single adults are just beyond belief, in my mind. The, the young couples that are just you know, throughout our church and, and even the 40 and the 50 crowd. And I got to tell you, even the people who are in their 60s or even 70s, they're, um, they're still young-minded in everything that they do. We really don't have that element in our church where you're just looking for a place to roll over and die. And um, I think that's very good. You know, over the years, I've, I've watched us grow. I've watched us grow numerically with the new people that come in. And I was talking to, had lunch with uh, a guy this week and who watches this on YouTube. And uh, he, uh, he said, boy, he says, there's a lot of new faces in your church. I see them when you guys are walking. You don't know it, but the camera's on when you're walking back and forth. And, 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 uh, and our church is, has uh, is grown people-wise, but it's also grown spiritually. And we have an incredible base of men and women who, who do the ministry and have grown to a, uh, an unparalleled depth in the Word of God and, and their ability to really understand and, and to do ministry. I remember back years ago when we first started our church, you know, I took about 40 or 50 of you, and uh, we went through our first round of Bible Institute. And uh, then we went through church history together, we went through, uh, we began the counseling ministry and, and all of that stuff, and, and, and most of you, you really stayed with it. And uh, you have developed yourself to where that you are today. And now, here we are. Many years later, we're round two of the Bible Institute. And boy, we had like almost 100 people in it last, last time we met. And, of course, our people ministry, we were packed out there. And we've got a whole new world of people who are where you older ones were years ago. And, and they want to learn and grow uh, in the Word of God, too. Uh, our youth group has grown and matured uh, through our youth program, you know, Zach and Jenny work with that, and with all the great counselors that uh, that we have that put so much into that. You know, our camps. This, this last year was the sixth year of our camp, and uh, you know, we started out with uh, 
you know, with, with, uh, with just a very small group, and now it's, it's matured, and uh, it's, really, it's really taken off and paid off. And this year, when we come out of camp, we started our leadership training program where we took all of the kids, the young ones and the older ones, and wanted to keep that thing going alive that they, uh, that they could keep and not lose what they had. We, we do all that for one reason. I understand that at our very best, the church is no substitute for parents in a family. I understand that. I would never try to supersede that. But sometimes you're forced into a situation where because the parents won't do what they need to do, then you have to try to help the kids where you can. And everything that we do fundamentally is to help the family become everything that God wants them to be. You know, our key kids today, they're in their 14, 15, 16, 17 now. And, but when we started our church back in the day, <laughs> they were 4, 5, 6, and 7, and 8. And now here we are a number of years later, and they're our very kids that we watched as babies running up and down and, and doing all the little things as, as young kids. Now they're on the threshold of adulthood. And with that, we begin to see uh, the devil do his work in stopping them from fulfilling all that God's had for them. You know, I look at our young couples, as I mentioned a moment ago, babies and toddlers all over the place. It's hard to walk up and down the steps without tripping one over one of them. They're everywhere. They're running around. They're happy. They're healthy. They're, they're, it's exciting to watch what's going on. And I don't believe for a moment that there's any accident that given our church family and where we're at with the kids and everything and where we are spiritually as a church that we now find ourselves uh, in the book of Proverbs chapter 22 right in the key verse that we need to be. And now as all uh, through the book of Proverbs, we need to stop and we need to develop this concept, this principle, this promise uh, to its fullest. I want you as parents, if you're uh, somebody who are just a young couple who just had babies or you're thinking about having, and I know many of you have, have, t- have talked to me about the fact that you're thinking about having children. And uh, you come over and ask me about it, and we talk about it. And so I know that there's prospective parents, there's young parents that have kids, and there's you singles who, you know, will meet the love of your life before long, and you'll get married, and the inevitable happens that, uh, you know, you'll have children. And then we have those who, you know, you have teenagers, or you have the, in junior high, and they're, they're all right there. And uh, this verse is a foundational verse, and a principle that, uh, you will build your children on. And we want to talk about it today. If you miss this, then you're going to have some major issues coming your way. And, you know, I talk a lot, and you hear me use different terms, and, you know, I talk a lot, a lot about long-term and short-term. I talk about being proactive versus being reactive. In marital classes, I talk about being uh, responding to a situation instead of reacting to it. And all these are absolutely essential in child development. They really are, especially the long-term and the short-term. You know, the lifeblood of this church, from our viewpoint today, will be the men and the women who are faithful uh, to the work and really do the ministry. And, And that's true. And most pastors, when they have something good like that going on, 
they're satisfied. They're happy with that. They think, wow, man, I got all these people that are ministering to people and, and all these people that are taking the truth of the Word of God and then and doing the, uh, the hard aspect of the Word of God. And, uh, but, I, but I've learned in the ministry that there's never a time that you get satisfied and there's never a time that you don't look beyond what you have long term. I mean, short term, I understand it, but long term, it's something else. Because the lifeblood of this church today may be you who are doing the work, and I thank God for you, but in the long term, the lifeblood of this church will be our children that will be responsible for today that will take over this church if Jesus doesn't come in the years to come. So it's a short term now, but it's a long term concept that we need to understand and start working toward. You know, I said about our camping ministry, and we had a great deal. The first year, you know, we kind of were testing the waters, and the guys did the camp and did a great job. We had Dean from Pensacola up for a couple of them, and uh, he did a great job. And then, you know, about three years ago, I, I, I started doing him, and uh, I, I, I have been out of camps for years and years and years. I, uh, I get calls uh, periodically. I got one just last week, you know, somebody wanted me to come and do their camp. And I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm past that point in my life. I, this is where I need to be. This is what I need to do. But I, I, I really enjoy doing our camp because, and I, I think I said this to you when we, when we got ready for camp. I look at it as long term, my preaching at camp. I want to build a relationship with your children. And when I did last year, Basically, what I do every year, but uh, what I did last year is I wanted your kids, our kids, to understand that the, the bond between me and you as their parents in ministry, how we got to where we're at and how they are part of that and how they need to understand that it isn't mom and dad and then the children. It is mom and dad and the children in a ministry team together. And I wanted to build that concept. I wanted them to understand that the real key and the success of a family is families ministering together. And that's what leadership training for them, that's why leadership training for them uh, is so important like we had last week, is that we keep those things alive in their life because they're vital to them. If there's one word, and we'll get to it as in, in depth, but if there's one word that needs to be the watchword of us with our children, it's the single word, reinforcement. We have to continually reinforce in their young lives everything that we want them to understand. And my goal is to, my goal is to help you in every way that I can with your children. Now, I know the reality of that, we will lose some of them. I understand that. That's just the reality of life in the ministry. Every pastor would like to keep everybody that comes to a church, but that's just not real. That isn't going to work. Uh, and the odds are against me. Uh, uh, we have already lost some. Um, but you need to know this. My job, your job, uh, our job together is to try to keep that number as low as possible. And we do not want to lose our children uh, to uh, the world. You know, I... Boy... There's so many things that my heart is filled with today. I watch you girls that are in your early 20s or your teens, and you guys too. Nobody told you to do this. And yet it just warms my heart because it, for me as a pastor, it, it makes it clear that 
that you're picking up on it and you're getting it. But I watch some of you younger ga- young gals. You know, you're, you're 18, 19, and you guys are just saying, I want you to take these young kids and mentor them. I, I want you to take them into your world. I mean, you could be doing a thousand things that guys your age and girls your age do, but you don't. You, you, you take your time and you mentor them. We've got kids, young boys and girls that are in other states that don't have anything that you take the time to mentor them. We had a lady call us a couple of weeks ago that just wanted somebody in our church to, to be a big brother to her boy, you know, and, 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 and people always step up to the plate. And I look at that and I think to myself, there is no greater, there is no greater uh, love that you can display of what you're learning about God in the Bible than taking that and unselfishly taking of your time who are taking young men and young ladies and simply mentoring them, being a role model for them, letting them know, getting into their world when all of the things that are going to be coming their way. Our kids are this church's future. And whether we will be here or not another 50 years, uh, the future of our church will lie within the children that we have today. You know, there's a great verse in Proverbs, uh, or Psalms 127, verse 3. And it's a great verse, and uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of good verses here over the next couple of weeks, but it simply says this. And remember now, what I'm trying to do today is put your child training into a context. I'm trying to put your family into an understandable context so that when you leave her today and come back next week and we start looking at all this stuff, you have a context by which to put it in. That verse says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. You know, our children are God's heritage. They're not our heritage. Many times we think of the legacy of our family, and I understand that. And that's in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, it's a much larger picture. And in a spiritual sense, our children are God's heritage. They're not our heritage. And the Bible says the fruit of the womb will be His reward. Parents are nothing more, all of us. We're simply the caretakers, the stewards of taking care of God's heritage to ensure that God's plan never stops. And, and, I, I, and I know that probably we never think on this level. But God's original plan for the Old Testament and for the New Testament was to reach the world through families. This is why in the Old Testament, when it's dealing with your children under the law, they deal with a zero tolerance. I mean, there is, no, there is a zero tolerance in dealing with kids. You get a kid that mouths off to his parents and is rebellious in the Old Testament... He may get one or two shots at going before the, uh, the elders to get him straightened out, but if that doesn't work, they simply take him out, dig a hole, and kill him. And that ends the disobedience and the, and the problems that are, that are going on within that nation because God knew that if you lost one family, you'll lose another one. And if you don't deal with the children, the whole aspect of God's program of reaching the world goes out the window. And that's God's plan for all things. It was an absolute foolproof plan of of parenting. Parents having a relationship with God and then having children, understanding that they're not theirs, they're the caretakers, that's God's heritage and God's fruit, and then 
building into them, training them, and passing on through the family for generations to come an unbroken line of ministry that will reach the world. You know what? We never have to go out and reach one more soul for Christ if God's families would just start doing what they need to do and look at their families and let them start winning their families, their families ministering, and then their families, and it would go on forever, and in a very short time, the world would be one to Christ. But the devil made sure that didn't happen. And God gave us as parents a 100% guarantee because this is his program. This is the way that he wanted to reach the world. He wanted to establish churches, and then within that established church, establish families. And families working together as a team to reach the world. So with that in mind, the devil then, with all the forces of hell, comes against the family, and the attack in the Old Testament, as in the New Testament, was against the families stopping the families from doing what God had designed families to do. And the quicker you come to the understanding that your kids are not yours, they're God's heritage, and you have been entrusted with, their, with, their, with the stewardship of God's heritage and God's fruit. God expects you and I to build a relationship with Him and then develop that into our children, that the unbroken chain uh, goes on. The thing that excites me uh, so much within our church is many of you young guys and you gals, you came into this church from families that were not saved, or if they were, they weren't very good. And you have you have you have broken you have broken the chain the other way. You were in a family that for generations did nothing. Now you got plugged into the Bible, and when you have children and get married, your kids, you will start that unbroken chain. To me, that's exciting. To me, that's really exciting. And I think that that is is, is an incredible thing. And uh, it's something that, uh, you know, that we want to always remember and something we never want to forget and how we, we look at it. You know, in all of Christianity... There are many tragedies. We talked today that Kelly was 40, 42, 42 years old. She was born on December 7th, the day the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. In 44 years, I've seen a lot of tragedies. I've had to deal with a lot of tragedies. I've seen it all in 42 years of the ministry here and in another five back in Canton. But I want to tell you, without a doubt, the most heartbreaking tragedy is when a mom and dad loses a child to the world. I want you to know that. I don't know of another, another tragedy that could befall anybody that hurts deeper, hurts longer, and hurts more. Because... You know, it's an ongoing thing. It never just comes to an end. And I've seen it many times. I've spent many long hours watching the disasters unfold. And, and, I, and I know that, <clears throat> I mean, we ask ourselves, what happened? 
All their young life, they seemed to be fine, those kids. Then one day, they just slip through your fingers, and they're gone. Almost overnight, it, se- it seems, they changed. Their attitude changed. Their lifestyle changed. The way they dressed, their appearance, their attitude about things, their thinking changed. And now like smoke from a campfire that just kind of goes up and dissipates into the air, away they go. And it's devastating. And the truth of it is, the real tragedy, (coughs) it didn't have to happen. God has given us a 100% guarantee. It was never God's intention for us to lose our children. Every saved parent has the guarantee of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Unfortunately, most cases, they just never use it. You know, it's like last week, I gave you Proverbs 22, 3, a prudent man foreseeth the evil. Parents, they lose their kids, and they never see it coming. Uh, Maybe they don't want to see it coming, but they never see it coming. They could never read the telltale inside. Now, maybe they didn't want to read them. I don't know. I know, and this is not true, uh, but it is true in, in, in some areas. Parents can be the most selfish people on the planet. Parents can make a lot of bad choices that ruins their marriage, ruins their life, ruins their health. They can make a lot of bad choices that complicate themselves on top of it. And then maybe they wind up being a single parent or in a bad relationship or relationship after relationship. And because all they want in life is what they want to make them happy. Their children get lost in the shuffle. And they're so busy trying to make themselves happy and going through all of the disasters and all of the compounding effects that really mess them up. And all of the drama that they have to deal with for, for, for years to come. And then they wonder why their children have issues. They wonder why their children have problems because of the fact that they are so caught up in all of the bad choices that they have made. And the compounding effect that just goes into that. That the kids just get lost in it all. Mom, don't ha- mom or dad, whatever the case may be, simply because of their own issues, do not have the time to address the issues that they're going through. And the devil, he doesn't sneak in the back door. He comes right in the front door. And through the course of our study on this great verse, I'm going to give you the four or five scenarios of where your child is at. Your child today will either be in four or five scenarios. We may not get there today, but we're, we're going to get there. And no, but, but on top of that, no matter what the situation with your children is, I want you to know this. There's always something you can always do to begin to reverse the process. But the issue will always be that parents won't do what they need to do. And I'll just tell you this right now, the longer you wait to begin to fix it, the harder it's going to be to fix. And the more heartache 
it's going to uh, put you through. You know, it's a phenomenon that I've never really fully understood. Parents will protect their kids from everything. They'll protect them from getting sick. They'll get their flu shots. Uh, they'll keep them home from school when they don't feel good. If there's any sign of something that might be serious, they're right to the doctor. They have all their vaccinations. They got everything. Uh, they protect them from the dangers that are around them. When they're little and they're playing out in the yard, you say, don't, don't leave the yard. Don't play in the street. Somebody needs to tell that to my neighbors across the street there. But they, they, they don't play in the street. You're going to get hit with a car. You give that child boundaries where he can play or she can play because you know there's somebody out there going to, going to hurt them. You tell them, don't talk to strangers. You get on the Internet sometime and, and on the, on the, uh, uh, and look at the, uh, the, the pedophiles or the child molesters that, and you put your address in, you would absolutely be shocked of how many of them live right around your area. So you tell them, don't talk to strangers. Somebody comes up with a, with a little, say, you want to see my little puppy? No. <laughs> Sign up for the child concealed carry classes that the team's going to have also. We tell them, don't touch that. It's a hot stove. And they touch it and they say, it was a hot stove. Don't touch that. <clears throat> they buy those things that you put in electrical sockets. You know why? Because your little kid will want to stick his finger in there. Or better yet, his brother's finger in there. <laughs> or a pencil. Or a piece of wire. Or a fork. So <clears throat> you protect them from all those things. But parents will not do one thing to protect them from the worldly things that will take them from them. <clears throat> you know... <clears throat> I'm going to tell you, the worst nightmare for a parent, the worst nightmare for a parent would be to have your child kidnapped. I can't think of anything more devastating. I mean, I just cannot, I don't even like to think about it. If there's one thing that I and we instilled in our girls growing up, and, uh, and, 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 one of them was kidnapped at one time, but they brought her back within two or three hours. <laughs> Here. I'm just kidding you. I, I can't think of anything more tragic. I can't think of anything more devastating. That go home and know that somebody has kidnapped your child and you don't know who took them or where they're at or if you'll ever see them again. But at the same time, we protect our kids from everything, but we'll allow the world to kidnap them. And in many cases, the kidnappers are in union with you. Many times parents will deliver their children to the kidnappers. Now, our verse today will be our foundational verse on child training that we're going to build on every week. We will start every week with this verse, and then we will move out from there, but... And it says in Proverbs chapter 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. And Sam, would you stand up and ask God blessing on a service today for me, buddy?
pray that uh, you will be with Bob now uh, during this message. And uh, I pray for the young families in here. I pray that uh, that they'll take it to heart and that the, the kids will be saved in the Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Sam. Now, as I said, what I intend to do is give you a context. A context for training up your child. A context for your family. And I'll say it again. Everything in the Christian life needs to fit into a context. Context is understanding. When you have a context of what you're looking at, then you understand it. It puts everything in its proper order. And context is based on principles. And this is why, as I said, in the ministry, when you work with people, there's going to be things that people do to you, how they try to hurt you, hurt you, say things about you. And if you don't have a context to put all that in, and you can't take every case as an individual case and look at it and put it into a context and then be satisfied and walk away from it, you're going to have a lot of issues. Now, let me begin by saying this. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, let me say this. Now, either this verse is 100% true or it's not. Either you and I as parents can claim it or we can't. All my life, I've heard pastors and Christians twist the verse to justify how that they lost their child, their child went into the world, and they're yet they're fine as a family, I'm fine as a pastor, it wasn't my fault, it was so-and-so's fault, it was this fault, it was that fault, we sent them here, this person got into the world. I, I've heard them twist that verse to try to make it work for them, and I want to tell you something, there is no twisting the verse. It says what it says. And that verse is just as absolute and sure as any verse in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 on your salvation. This verse is our guarantee that we can bring our kids up in the world that we live in and be 100% sure they will make it. And either the verse is 100% true or it's 100% false. And you'll find in these situations that the problem is, is never with the verse problem will always be with the parents. And the key to unlocking and understanding how to use this verse will be found very simply in a couple of few words here that we want to look at that are key words that really set the context. Now, the first word I want to look up is in the first phrase here. It says, train up a child. And I want to just talk for a few minutes about one word, training. Without a doubt, the key ingredient in our verse now, I want you to understand something. You raise corn. You can raise rabbits. You can raise puppies and you can raise cats. But when it comes to children, you have to train them. You don't raise children. You train children. And when it comes to children that God entrusted to us as his heritage is in fruit, we train them. And as in everything in the Christian life, there will be a right way and a wrong way to train them. It's just that simple. There's one right way, but there's always many wrong ways. And that is a constant in Christianity. There's one right salvation, but there's many, many false salvations. There's one true church, and there's many, many false churches. There's one real Bible, 
and then there's many wrong ones. There's one right way to learn the Bible, and then there's many wrong ways. And there's one right way to train children, and of course there's many wrong ways. And these are the things that you need to be understand. Now, as your pastor, my job obviously is to train you. My job is to equip you the right way. And I, I told the people in the, in the uh, uh, people ministry yesterday that uh, I'm old school. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not much for all this modern stuff that, uh, that you see going on today. Uh, I, I'm old school. Uh, I was raised and brought up in a time when Christianity meant something, that the Bible meant something, and yet I understand I was caught in that vacuum as it was changing from one to the other. But I have the people in my life that instilled in me through their training. And today the church... And Christianity, the right way is viewed as the wrong way. We saw this in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, that he was prophesying uh, of the times to come. And he said, there's a time coming, and I'm going to paraphrase now. He said, there's a time coming when the, the right things will be looked at as the wrong things, and the wrong things will be looked at as the right things. And that's where we're at today. And today in churches, the right way is viewed as the wrong way, and the wrong way is viewed as the right way. And in both cases, in, with people and churches, and our children, uh, the right way will uh, be a lot uh, of hard work. And I, 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 I've been in the ministry a long time. I, I don't claim to know much about anything in life, but I know preachers. I am one. And I've seen them from every shape and angle and size and every church and every denomination and every dimension all through my life. Most pastors, I'm going to tell you, most pastors, when it comes to the ministry, they want to take the easy route with their people. They want to make their life and their ministry as simplistic for them as they can. That's why they get to a point where they spend 30, 40 years in the ministry. And I, another thing that is a phenomenon to me, I mean, you can see it in the Bible, that in the Bible, a man is not even considered a man till he's 30. He's not allowed to go to war. He's not allowed to do anything meaningful till he's 30 years of age. That's when he is recognized as being a man. We look at it, you know, in our world, when you're 18, you can drink beer because you're an adult and make your own decisions. The Bible puts that at 30. There's a reason for that. And as you get to the point where if you're just now starting as a man uh, into the introduction of the world when you're 30, by the time you get to be 60 or 70, if you've learned anything at all, you probably are now the most valuable in your life of what you have learned, if you have learned anything, to give it to somebody else. But the pastor mentality today is, is you know, I'm going to pastor a church till I'm 50 and 60, 70 years old, or not even 70 anymore, and then I'm going to, re- I've done my part, I'm going to retire, I'm going to, when you go through your whole life, and you've now amassed all the information that you have of the situations and the people that you've dealt with, by the time you're in your 60s, you're in your prime to train somebody. But that's when they get out. You know why? They want the easy way. Honestly, they're lazy. They are. And all you got to do to understand that is every time we have one inch of snow, there'll be 60,000 church cancellations. When they start to tell you the night before it's going to snow the next day, they're already calling the snow hotline. 
And I'll tell you where the pastor's mind is. He's saying to himself, I could use the sermon I got tomorrow next week. I got a week. I don't have to do anything. I know the mindset. I know exactly the way they think. I mean, most pastors, they simply want to take the easy route. They'll go Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, but they don't put anything into it. You may get your best shot on Sunday morning. Sunday night, Wednesday night. When a missionary used to come through town, we'd always put him on Wednesday night to preach because we knew that missionaries typically could not preach very well. So we always put him on Wednesday night because nobody came Wednesday night anyhow. That's the mindset. They never understand. To, to, it's much work. The hundreds of hours that need to be invested in, 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 in specialized training, in one-on-one, working uh, through all the issues to build people one person at a time. You don't do that just getting up on Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. You don't do that by just, by just you know, letting people see who you are. You have to take the hours and invest in them. You don't build anybody from a long distance. There's no easy road in ministry. It's 24-7, all day, every day. You, in ministry, you give till you have nothing left to give, and then you find some more to give. And most pastors and most parents want to take the easy route. In training up their children. I grew up in, and in, in some of you know what I'm talking about. I grew up in the era of the Christian school movement. Somebody came up with the idea a long time ago that, that uh, the Christian school was the answer to the public school system. And, and pastors, and they were taught in Bible college, if you want to start a church, the way you start a church is you start a church and then you open up a Christian school. And then you tell all the people that if they don't go to a Christian school, their kids are all going to die and go to hell and going to go to the world. And they'll flock to your school. Because they think the guarantee that if you send your child to a Christian school, there's a big shine over the door as they walk in school. Big shine. Devil can't come in here. He's teaching the classes. And what parents did is they took the easy route. They thought if they sent their kid to Christian school that they wouldn't have to do the training that the school would do it. And pastors make the same mistake by sending all of their people off to Bible college thinking if the Bible college trains them, then then I won't have to do it. Mel Sabaka one time... He was talking to a guy that was in charge of a Christian school, and the guy in the Christian school wanted to, didn't wanted to know why Mel was against Christian schools and why he wouldn't send his people there. And Mel, he always had the answer, but he never gave you the easy answer. He always gave you one that either whacked you alongside the head or made you think. And I was standing right there, and he said, okay, let me think here. <clears throat> why do I not want to send my people to your school? Hmm. I send my kids to your school to learn ministry. You take them, put them into work in your church to build your church for four years. 
when they graduate and now they're ready to go out and go be a missionary and start them after they've worked in your church, building your church, then you send them back to me for me to pay for it and support them. That's why I don't send them. Brilliant. But that's what it is. It's exactly what it is. Look, it takes hundreds of hours to take a group of people. It takes years. It takes months. And most parents, they just want to, like pastors, they want to take the easy route in training up their kids. Hey, I get it. I get it. I get it. You work all day, you're tired. I understand. You come home, you got one kid, two kids, three kids. You worked all day, you're tired, and you come home. They want to climb all over you, and you're tired, you want some time for yourself. This is where the training now begins. You say, what's what's your advice to me? Get a puppy. Don't have children if you're not understanding that it demands a tremendous amount of work. As a pastor, I have free time, but I don't have a lot of free time. I'm on call 24-7. There have been times that I went to, uh, when I used to work down at Payola, and I worked uh, for SM&P, marking the lines at night. I, uh, Payola is way down in Miami County. I went two counties below Miami all the way down to, to Anderson County. And I was the only guy that worked down there. And I was on call 24-7. And many a times that I wanted to go do something and do that, and my pager would go off, and I'd have to drive down 70 miles one way just to write it on a ticket. We don't have anything here. My pager, I had to sleep next to it. And there were many nights that went off in the middle of the night, and I had to go and just go on to work the next morning. There was never a time, because it was my job, that I could ever say, I'm not on call. And I want to tell you something. In the ministry, you're on call all the time. Now, I'm going to take it up one level. As a parent, you're on call all the time. I get it. But training up your child the right way is going to be work. With children comes demanding responsibility of training them. Moms and dads together. When a pastor does it right, he'll produce a solid Bible-believing church with people who are sound. They're solid. We talked about the seven sound concepts of a a good Bible-believing church in Christian life. You have a sound doctrine, which produces sound mind, which produces sound word, which produces sound speech, which produces sound, uh, sound faith, which produces sound wisdom. That will translate into you building sound relationships, unmoved by the world. And when a parent does it, the same way and does it right, then he'll produce the same soundness in their children that will be unmoved by, by the enticement of the world. And I want to tell you something. There will come a time, and we'll talk about it when we get to this phase of it, when your child will start to be, and be enticed by the world. And I'm telling you, it's coming. It's already here for some of you. And when you build a church, I'm going to tell you something. When you build a church, you cannot... Build it by flying by the seat of your pants. <clears throat> you can't say, I'm going to be a chapter, a pastor. I'm going to build a church. Y'all come on now, hear me preach. <clears throat> you need a plan. 
You need a training schedule. You need a format and a model for growth, and you need a vision of how you're going to do it. You not only need to know what you want to accomplish, but you better know well how you're going to accomplish it. And training up children, you need to know the same four things. I'll be honest with you. I, I love you, but I'll be honest. If you as a parent this morning, you can't define these four things in your child's life, uh, you're, uh, uh, you're headed or already in some trouble. you got to have a plan. What's your plan? Well, I'm just going to raise them up in the nurture of the Lord. That ain't a plan. That's like a guy going into the general and the general saying, how are you going to take that city? Well, we're just going to beat them. What's your plan? What is your training schedule? Do you have one? Or do you just look for opportunity time to train them? Do you have a a scheduled training format for their growth? Could you right now project where your child is at by where they were, by where you want them to go? What is your vision for them? I want them to be a doctor. I want them to be a ball player. I want them to be a this. I want them to be that. I want them to marry somebody rich. I want <laughs> nothing wrong with that one. Yeah, I want them to. I want them to. I want them to. I want them to have a better life than me. That's great. How are you going to do that? And what does that mean? What is your vision? What do you want to accomplish with your child? And my second question is, how are you going to accomplish it? What's your plan? What's your plan? Now, the second word will be uh, found in the second phrase, and that is, in the way he should go. Now, I want to give you another great verse here to help our context. It's also found in the book of Psalms, Psalm 127, verse 4, and it says this, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. We as parents will decide which way your child will go in life. It, 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 it shouldn't be your gym teacher. It shouldn't be the, the, the social advisor at, at, at school. It shouldn't be their friends. It should, it should be, it's, it's you. We launch them in life toward a target. You take a man who's great with a bow and arrow, he picks up the bow and he picks up the arrow, and he puts it in there and he can hit a pie plate at 50 feet. He'll put it through the same. He'll put it through the same hole. He takes that arrow. He looks at a target. He pulls it back, and he's so well versed in it, he lets it fly. It hits the target. We do the same thing with our children. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. You take your children that God has entrusted to you, God's heritage, God's fruit. God put you the custodian of them. He made you the stewardship of them. You take that kid and you put him in the bow of life, and you aim him toward heaven or you'll aim them toward hell. All my life, I've heard parents blame the failure of their kids on everybody else. Well, you know what? He got hanging out with so-and-so, and so-and-so is no good. Well, you know, she started running with the wrong crowd, and she started doing that and this, and uh, they kind of pulled her down. And, uh, you know, uh, let me ask you one simple question. Who... Train her in the value system of choosing friends. 
as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. So we're children of the youth. We as parents will decide which way the child will go in life. We launch them. And we launch them toward God or the world. We launch them toward heaven or hell. And at the end of the day, we are the custodians of them. We are the stewards of them. If we have given up that stewardship, that's on us. Listen, training up your child the right way will be a very hard, ongoing task. And it never ends. But I want to tell you this. If you do it the right way, the older it gets, the easier it gets. In most cases, the older the kids get, the more problems the family faces. The right way is just the opposite. The older they get, if you do it the right way, the easier they become. And in time, we'll look at those five stages of training up children on the different levels as we go through. Not today, but we will get there. This is the context day. Now today in our church, we will have parents who find themselves in one of six scenarios. This will help you with your contact. This will help you identify where you're at. Scenario one, your kids are doing great. You put the principles into their life, and uh, it shows. They're right on target. And I'm not saying they don't have issues. All kids do. But what I'm saying is your family is ministering together. You've got it together. You're working it together. They're in church with you. They're standing by your side. They're sitting next to you or they're sitting with their husband or their wife or whatever. And they are where God, they're where you're at. And they, you have done a job. Your family is ministering together. And you are a model for the young people in our church who want to have what you have someday. Well, I'm glad we got that one out of the way. We have parents with new babies. If you do not want to have children in our church, don't drink the water. The bottles of water we put on there and table out there are tainted. We have a toast of parents with new babies. And some of you, you just had your first child. Some of you had your second child. And your scenario is your children are still very young. They're babies. Our third scenario will be parents with children are now uh, two, three, four, and five. And now you have realized that the only word your child is probably ever going to speak is the word no. Pick that up. No. Don't do that. No. And now you're convinced that they're going to have a one-syllable, one-word life. And uh, you've got some challenges with them. <coughs> then our fourth scenario will be parents with kids that are 8, 9, 10, or 11. Now, these can be some tough years, too. As kids begin to grow, and we'll talk about the reason for this in weeks to come, but they, they automatically have a thing where they, they begin to challenge authority. Adam and Eve were the first two children in the Bible, and every child Every child uh, that is born in his early years are a picture of Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve were not afraid to run around naked. Adam and Eve, uh, Adam and Eve were, uh, Adam and Eve were uh, told not to touch something. Adam and Eve uh, were told not to put something in their mouth. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they'd like all little kids, that's what they do, they run around naked. You tell them, oh, no, don't touch that. You tell them, don't put that in your mouth. When it comes down to putting broccoli over here or fruit over here, they'll take the fruit every time. And every one of them, when they do something wrong and you try to question them, they're going to blame it on their brother and their sister just like he did. Well, Lord, the woman you gave me. You see, human nature starts in the Bible in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And then the fifth one is parents with kids are now entering into their teens. 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. And you have, you have your hands full in some cases. This is where they begin to change. The change becomes really apparent. This is where rapidly it moves out of your control. This is where you spend your waking nights, tears on your pillow. And then you have the sixth one, parents who for all practical purposes have lost your child. Even they know may live in your same house with you. You've lost, you've lost control. And they, uh, you know, the only interaction you have is fighting. You get into tremendous fights with them. You lose your temper. They say things to each other that they shouldn't say. And you know, and at number six, this stage is basically, a, just so you know the context, this is basically a standoff stage. You're not going to fix anything going the way you're going here. Uh, they do what you say because they have to. They will comply with your demand. They'll fight you on it. You'll get in arguments over it. But at the end of the day, uh, they're, uh, you know, they, will, they will put you to sleep by telling you what you want to hear. And then they'll always find a way to do what they want to do. You know, at this stage, you've basically lost any influence in your child's life. They have seen the hypocrisy. They have seen the differences. And now they don't want any part of it. They can't wait to be out. I mean, they may have to stay where they're at right now. But the first chance that they get older, they're gone. In many cases, you know, when you have multiple parents and divorces and kids living with one or the other, this is where the kid will bog out and he'll go with the path of least resistance. See it all the time. And we've lost any influence in their life. It's a lot like the little guy, his dad was driving him, you know, and they were going someplace and the kid, you know how kids are, the kid was in the front seat, kid wanted to stand up so he could see. Well, dad didn't want him to stand up because if he had to hit the brake, kid go through the windshield. And, of course, he says, son, sit down. And the kid was defiant. He said, no, I don't want to sit down. I want to see. And the dad said, uh, I said, son, sit down. And he said, I don't want to sit down. I want to stand up. And the dad said, son, I'm telling you, I want you to sit down. And he said, I don't want to sit down. I'm going to stand. Now, let me tell you something. In time, I'll show you. How, how many times do you want to tell your child to do something before they do it? I'm going to show you how to do that. Now, if, if, if I was driving the car... And I would have said to the kid, son, sit down. And he said, I don't want to sit down. I'd have hit the brakes. He'd have bounced off the windshield. He'd have come back. And as he cried with blood running down his nose, I'd have said, that is why I wanted you to sit down. No. Son, sit down. I don't want to. 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 Finally, the guy pushed him down the seat, put a silk butt on. The kid looked at him and said this. I may be sitting in this seat, but I'm standing in my mind. You got some problems. And that's what your kids many times in number six scenario are doing. 
You're telling them, and they're doing it, but they're doing what you want, but in their mind they're doing what they want. You don't have anything. I have had parents say, well, I don't want to really come down hard on my child because I'm afraid I'll lose him. You've already lost him. In my next life, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm going to raid dogs. I'm going to get this huge kennel. I'm going to hire my sister to work with me. And we are going to have a time of our life raising dogs. Find a good home for them. Problem with us is we'd raise all the dogs. We'd never find any home for them because we never want to get rid of them. Now understand this. My purpose in all of this, in these next eight weeks, Today I want to give you a context, but my purpose overall is to help you to be better. My goal is not to belittle anybody. My goal is not to embarrass anybody, not to beat anybody up, put you on some kind of guilt trip. That's not my goal. My goal is to help you understand the guarantee that God has given you, the greatest guarantee outside your salvation. But as, as, as your pastor, there's some things that I need to say. Some of you are headed for some real heartache if something doesn't change. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't care for me. I'll spend whatever time it takes to spend. I'm there for you. It's me and you all the way. I'm in your foxhole. I'm there. But I don't want you to go through that. And let me remind you what Paul said. You know, in the book of Galatians, they had gotten off track. And there were some things in the church at Galatia that had to change. And Paul was good, but there comes a time when you've got to put the rubber down where the road is. And he told them some hard things that they needed to change. And then he said in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And many times in the ministry when you tell somebody the truth, yeah, you will become their ministry. And, and that's, that's a tragic thing in itself. But I won't tell you. I'm not your enemy here today. I want the best for you. I want the best for your children. All I want is to get your family to the biblical place where God's plan is realized that families are ministering together as a team. What's what's wrong with that? Why would anybody have an issue with that? But you're going to find people that do. Now, the last part of this verse in the word we want to look at is when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, ask yourself this. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay. What will he not depart from? God? The Bible? The family? The church? Well, all those things are things we don't want him to depart from, but those are all secondary things. The thing that he will not depart from in the context will be the training you give him. You have to see that. When he won't depart from the training, he'll never depart from God. When he won't depart from the training, he'll never depart from the Bible. When he won't depart from the training you give him, he'll never depart from the family or the church. You have to train him. You have to have a regiment of training that you instill in him. That he sees first in you by example. And then you can train him. Remember Ecclesiastes chapter 1, chapter 12 verse 1 says... Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. That's a very important verse. 
And you want to understand this. When it comes to training your child, you have a very small window of opportunity to train them. I mean, when it comes to your children, you don't ever want to have to play catch up. Trust me. You want to stay ahead of it all the time. You want to get to him before the world does. Because there will come a day in his life or her life that they will say, I have pleasure in the evil day. And then you're in trouble. And many parents, many parents are at this threshold right now. And uh, uh, their child is on the verge of being swept away and being kidnapped by the world. I'm weird in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's okay. I agree with you. Thank you. I do. I'm not really weird. I just try to learn something from everything. And that makes me weird because you don't. (laughs) I'm just kidding you. I know how that everything in the world has to start with the Bible. I get that. So I'm constantly, in everything that I see, looking for the principles that Hollywood or whoever puts into the films that they make. And, and I, I look at those, and it, it just kind of illuminates and, and, and gives me all kinds of, of, of it, to me, valuable resource material. And I was watching a movie, and I thought of this just the other day as I was putting this together. And I know you've all seen the movie. Uh, it's the movie Taken. What's that guy's name? Lem? Yeah, you all know who he is. He, he's one of my favorite actors. And in the movie Taken, this is great. I want to suggest that you do something. I want to suggest, I, I'm not remember how the language is, but it probably has anything that your kids haven't heard come out of your mouth already, so it ought to be okay. <laughs> I, I suggest you rent this movie. Sit down with your kids. And then after you watch the movie, say to them this. Because this is the movie. He's got a, young, he got a daughter. who she's, in, she's a teenager. She's 19 or 20. And he worked for the CIA or whoever he worked for. He's very capable in his skills. He's got a lot of contacts around the world. And uh, his, his daughter wants to go uh, to Europe with two or three other girls uh, to go to a concert. Well... They're divorced. His, mo- his wife is now remarried, and she says, oh, let us go. So they, tr- they talk him into letting her do that. He's very skeptical of the whole thing because he's been around the world. He knows what's out there. So he says, I'll go, let you go on one condition. He gives her a cell phone that's programmed right to his phone. She has to call in and check in three or four times a day when they land, where they go. She agrees to it. And then they find out that he finds out that she wasn't just going to a concert. She was going to follow this band, her and three other girls, all around four or five countries for a couple of weeks. And he, he, she's gone. So the movie goes on, you know, that, that she's landing and she's having a great time. He's calling her because he knows the flight schedule. She's not answering. They get to their apartment, you know, or the place that they're staying, and uh, three girls, and uh, he, she finally picks up the phone, and she says, yeah, I'm here, and he wants to know all this stuff, and she, she really doesn't do much with the phone, and uh, all the time when they land at the airport, 
they were being shadowed by some Russian guys who kidnapped young American girls and then sold them into prostitution in Europe and in, the, in all the other countries. And that's what they did. They lured them in. They asked them to, for directions or whatever. They asked them to go to a party. They drugged them. They wound up being auctioned off to go who knows where. Well, when she's talking to her dad on the phone, she sees across the window that they have just come in and they're taking the two girls, and she is terrified. And she's telling her dad they're, they're being abducted. Her dad kicks right into his mode, and he starts asking for all the details so he can know how to best to find her. They come and they get her. He hears her screaming. She's hiding under the bed. They pull her out and they grab her. One of the guys picks up the phone, and he's still on the phone. And he says to the guy on the phone, if you let my daughter go right now and let her come back to the home, it'll be the end of it. If you do not, I'm going to come and kill every one of you. The guy simply says two words. Good luck. Hangs up the phone. Well, he goes over to his wife's place, who's married to a rich guy. She goes into a panic. He's going to go get his daughter. So he gets on a jet, flies over. I can't get, it is incredible how he tracked the down where they were. And he knew he only had a short window. Because his own CIA buddy said, if you don't find her in 48 hours, you'll never find her again. There were a Russian mob that were kidnapping young girls, selling them into prostitute. They were going anywhere in the world. So he goes after them. He tracks them down one at a time. Make a long story short. He kills everybody that was associated with his daughter's abduction. Some of it is the most graphic stuff you'll ever see. It's great. <laughs> Especially when he has the guy duct taped in the chair and he's asking questions and he won't tell him and he takes two big nails with electric wires on them and sticks them in both legs and then turns the light switch on to the guy and he gets the information and then after he got the information you'd think he would be thankful he annihilated everybody who was associated with his daughter he walks out of this empty building turns the light switch on and who knows what happened to the guy it probably, he probably fried till the electric company come and took because nobody paid the bill my point is this. He went around the world and he killed everybody that was associated with the abduction of his daughter. And we, on the other hand, as parents, we make friends with the very abductors. We take them to our house, we take them to their parties, we let them date. We let them date the kidnappers. We, 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 we let them date the very man or the very woman that is going to kidnap your daughter and take them from your family and introduce them to the world. And you're happy about it. He picks her up at your house for the date and you're standing there. He's got a smile on his face and a condom in his pocket. And you're there. Have a good time, kids. Bible says prove all things. God help the first kid who ever came to want to date either one of my daughters. 
Joe Heater says he still has nightmares, Bob, over your discussion. I wanted them to know. I wanted them to have a context of why I'm killing you. I want you to total understanding that these are my daughters. They're not yours. They're not your playthings. They're not your toys. God gave them to me. I am the steward of their life. And you know what? You mess with them, you're going to die. Yeah, you can take them out. You can enjoy, go get a pop, go get a soda, go whatever. If you do one thing that violates what I'm telling you I'm doing with them, you're a dead man. Don't worry about those mounds of dirt in my backyard. They mean nothing. And like the guy in the movie, parents, you need to kill and wipe out every relationship that's going to allow your daughter, your daughter, your child, or your, your son to be abducted by the world. You've got to kill it. I'm not saying you've got to kill the people, but you've got to kill the relationship. I suggest you rent the movie, sit down with your kids, and then now that I've explained it to you, you simply say to them at the end, you see what he just did? That's what I'm going to do. Because you're mine. He loved that daughter so much that I don't care where he had to go or who he had to kill. And the daughter, she didn't like it at the beginning. But boy, was she glad to see him right after she got sold into sex sex slavery. Oh, now she was glad to see him. Save your child all the heartache. Rent the movie. Our verse stands as one of the great principles and promises to every mom and dad who are truly saved. Today will be our context. A context of a training program that we're going to lay out for your child. And I'm going to walk you through every phase of this training. When we are done, you will have everything you need, including me, to make it all work for you. I'm going to give you every tool. I'm going to show you how to use the tool. I'm going to give you the context of everything where your child is at, no matter what age they are. I'm going to show you exactly what you're up against, and then I'm going to show you the training format and the schedule by which you walk them through. And when we are done, you will have everything you need. To make it all work for you. The greatest, simply, the greatest guarantee in all the Bible outside of your salvation is the guarantee given that if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is 100%. That is the greatest principle and the greatest promise in all the Bible that will guarantee your child from ever, ever not fulfilling within your family all that God has for them. And it's time when we, as God's people, look at our custodianship, our stewardship of the greatest heritage that God has allowed us to be part of. And that is your children being God's heritage and your children being the fruit of His reward. So we'll hold up there today and I have good time, good context, good start today.